I trust you all know the story of Aladdin. Aladdin found the magic lamp, rubbed it, out popped the genie, ready to grant him three wishes. And I just want you to pretend that happened to you. Genie's standing in front of you, ready to grant you three wishes. Now, an honest question you have to answer truthfully in your mind. Would one of your three wishes be for money? You take a wager and say that for most of you, yes. People love money. People desire money. People want more money. Lots of it. And why is it? Why does everyone seem to love money so much? It's not that people literally love dollar bills. They want to swim in a pile of gold. Rather, people love all the things money can buy. Money is the, the key to unlocking all their desires. This is why money is so powerful and alluring. Also, money seems to solve a lot of problems in life. Life is easier for the rich. If you have wealth, you have many advantages over those who are poor. Rich people are healthier. They can afford better health care. They can get better doctors, see specialists. They can get healthier food. They don't have to worry about you know, eating fast food all the time. Or studies have shown that those who are poor are often relegated to cheaper food, fast food, leads to obesity, other problems. The rich are also better educated. <clears throat> rich parents can send their kids to private schools, nice colleges. They can invest in tutors, learning materials. Their lives are stable. They have fewer things distracting them from their education. And when rich people enter the workplace, they advance faster. It's like those who are born rich, they, they essentially are born on third base. They have a life, uh, they enter life with a huge head start. Nepotism is alive and well. That's where rich passed on their wealth, their wealth to their children. Riches also buy security. The rich are able to escape bad neighborhoods. They live in gated communities with private security. They don't have to live in the crime-ridden neighborhoods. They can escape that. And riches certainly bring pleasure and luxury in life. You have money, you can buy all the latest toys and gadgets, you can travel the world, eat at the best restaurants, stay at the nicest hotels, hire personal butlers, never have to lift a finger. And along these lines, riches also buys you all the status symbols, get the latest car, latest watch, shoes, clothes, and the list goes on. This is just a short list of what money buys. And this is why people love money. It gets them these things, all of their heart's desires. And who doesn't want Health, education, success, security, pleasure, luxury, status. This is why people want to be rich, to satisfy their heart's desires. People say, if I just had more money, then I would, I'd be at peace. I'd be happy. Life would have no more problems. Everything seems easier for the rich. Everything is easier for the rich, except for one thing. This may come as a shock to some of you. But amazingly, while money is the greatest advantage to this life, at the same time, it is the greatest disadvantage to the next life. Everything is easier for the rich, except entering heaven. And that is for them the hardest thing to do. Their money is of absolutely no value. In fact, it handicaps them. It is their disadvantage. You may wonder, is this this really true? And thankfully, you never have to take my word for it because we're going to find out from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. So open your Bibles one more time to Mark chapter 10. We are still in Mark chapter 10, so we make our way through this gospel. Picking up where we left off last week, last time we witnessed Jesus encounter a rich young ruler, 
This is a young man. He was head of a local synagogue. He was righteous, devout. He was also rich, very rich. Seemingly everything was going his way in life. But something wasn't right. Despite all of his wealth, he didn't feel right with God. His heart was uneasy because he was unsure of his salvation. So he runs up to Jesus with the most important question anyone could ask. He says, what must I do to be saved? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He had the right desire. He wanted eternal life. And he came to the right person. He went to Jesus with this question. Jesus could lead him to the soul satisfaction that he was looking for. However, as we learned, his question was enough to show that he was still trapped by that Jewish legalistic system because he believed eternal life was something to be earned. You had to earn it yourself. He had done all these good works. He had kept all the commands. Now he just wants to seal the deal. He's like, what, what is there left for me to do to guarantee that I earn my eternal life? Jesus, of course, sets him straight. This rich young ruler had a, a whole wrong view of goodness. He had a relative view of goodness, where you, you're a good person so long as you're better than others. Just be better than the criminal, better than the Gentile, and you're, you're good to go. You're good enough for heaven. But Jesus confronts him with an absolute view of goodness. Only God is absolutely good. And measure yourself against God, you, you fall real far short. If, God, if God's goodness is the standard, you're not a good person. Certainly not good enough to enter heaven. Jesus used the Old Testament law to try and convict this man, but he was too steeped in his legalism, so Jesus went straight after his heart. Jesus in love knew what was going on in this man's heart. In reality, he didn't keep the commandments, especially the first two, you know, the ones about having no other gods, because in reality, this man did have another god in his life, and it was his money. Money sat on the throne of his heart, and until he realized his idolatry, his sin, his lack of goodness, he could not be saved. So Jesus brings conviction on his heart. still offers him life. The offer is still there. The door of salvation was open. All this rich man had to do was deny himself and follow Jesus. Only for him, Jesus knowing his, his heart idolatry gave him a special challenge. He would have to forsake this idol if he was to follow Jesus. So what did Jesus tell him? Well, verse 21 from last week, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Here's a man who thought he had everything, yet he still lacked. It's not that this man would merit eternal life by selling his stuff, giving to the poor. Salvation is not earned. It's received as a gift from God. However, only empty hands can receive the gift. You must empty yourself of yourself to receive Jesus. You must stop following your sin if you are to start following Him. This man had to radically forsake his idol if he were to serve the one true Lord. And this was He was called. This was his call. What did he do? Well, it's no surprise to you. Sadly, he walked away. He walked away. He turned down this offer of eternal life because as verse 22 says, he was one who owned much property and possessions. He had too much to give up. His, his stuff 
was too tightly wrapped around his heart. He was too rich for the kingdom. I want you to picture a door, door of salvation. But don't think of a normal-sized door. I want you to think of like a doggy door, you know, like one foot by two foot, something like that, pretty small. You can fit through, but just barely. You're going to have to squeeze through, and you definitely can't take anything with you through this door. And this is like the door of salvation. Salvation is received as a gift. This door is opened to you by grace. Jesus invites you through. You must enter by faith. But you must come empty, humble, helpless, dependent, clinging to nothing else but Jesus. It's the only way through that door. But this rich man and many like him, they come to the door and they want what's on the other side. I mean, who doesn't want eternal life? But he's carrying this, this bag, this large bag, like, like Santa's bag. It's full of all of his wealth. And he loves his wealth. He lives for his wealth. He even expects his wealth to help buy his way through the door. I mean, money makes everything easier, right? But Jesus essentially directs this man to the, the little doggy door. He says, look, you're invited. Come, follow me, receive eternal life. But, but you've got to squeeze through that small door. And you can't take anything with you. You have to come empty. All the stuff you're living for, that the big bag you're carrying, you have to leave it if you are to follow me and receive eternal life. And this really is the choice that we're all confronted with. And money isn't the only culprit of things that hold us back. There are many idols that capture people's hearts and prevent them from wholeheartedly devoting themselves to Christ. All of these must be forsaken. All people must forsake their sin and die to self if they're to live unto the Lord. But the rich, especially, have a hard time doing this. The love of money firmly rules their heart and they find it very difficult to forsake self in order to follow the Lord. And so for the wealthy, most of the time, their riches are in fact their greatest disadvantage when it comes to entering the kingdom. It prevents them from gaining the next. I know it's a shocking thing to say, a shocking reality. It was shocking back then to think of money this way. We think it's the best thing around, but hearing it put like this, the disciples were astonished that Jesus would let this rich man walk away, walk away from the kingdom. They, they were shocked. I mean, how could that be? They thought money could buy anything. But right after the rich young ruler walks away, Jesus turns to his disciples to teach them that, no, in fact, riches are the greatest handicap to entering the kingdom. And you need to watch out. Money can capture the heart like nothing else, and it keeps scores of people outside of salvation. So now in Mark 10, as we continue on, we find that Jesus isn't finished teaching about wealth and salvation. But there, there's enough to learn just from the episode of the rich young ruler. But now Jesus debriefs his disciples. Now it's time for some direct teaching on what they just witnessed. You know, is money really such a disadvantage to salvation? Is that, is that really true? And if so, why and how? What, what can we do about it? Does this mean we too must sell all our possessions if we're to follow Jesus? That's what he's saying? Well, we're going to find out. Mark 10, 23 through 27 is the text. And this is what Jesus himself has to say right on the heels, right after the tragic episode of the rich young ruler. 
So let's go ahead and read our text, short enough. Mark 10, verses 23 through 27. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is a a pretty stunning text. And down through the ages, it's no wonder that rich people haven't really liked this text. In fact, some people have tried to alter Christ's meaning to soften his words against the rich, as we're going to see later. And I'm sure today that our modern prosperity preachers just quietly skip over this this passage. This probably doesn't get a lot of play in those churches. Jesus, he had an awful lot to say about wealth, but never anything good. Never. It doesn't mean wealth wealth is automatically bad or it can't be used for good. It can. But we never find Jesus extolling the virtues of being rich. Rather, he's always warning of the danger of, of money, of wealth. And here we even find him teaching that, in fact, money may just be your greatest handicap to coming to salvation. And so clearly this deserves a closer look. What exactly is he saying? Is he just condemning all rich people? Well, we need to to see this a bit more clearly. So we're going to go back over our text like we always do, verse by verse. And so let's, let's start back at verse 23. Let's read that one more time. Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. you got to picture the scene. Jesus, his disciples, are packing things up. They're ready to leave town. They've been ministering in Perea. They're about to go back to Jerusalem. This is the final trip to Jerusalem where he will die. So they're packing up. They're heading out of town. Right? That, when that, as they're packing up, this rich man, this rich young ruler, runs up to Jesus And that whole episode unfolds before the disciples. They're watching this whole interchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And it's so amazing. The disciples, they witness this rich young ruler run up to Jesus so excitedly, but now he's walking away, sad, depressed, sullen. And I'm sure when the disciples saw him walk away, their jaws just hit the floor. How could Jesus let this guy get away? We need him. He could finance our whole operation. He's seemingly so close to the kingdom. Like, how could Jesus let him go? But Jesus knows what's going through the minds of his disciples. He he can read the look on their faces. So verse 23 says, he gives them a look of, of his own. He looks around as if turning his attention toward his disciples. He wants to see their faces. He wants to see what impression this little altercation left on them. And it's pretty clear when he looks at them. They don't get it. They don't get the significance of what just happened with the rich young ruler walking away. So it's time for some teaching. What do the disciples need to learn from what just happened with the rich young ruler? What do we need to learn from what just happened with the rich young ruler? And so that's what we find. First and foremost, he says, verse 23, 
how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying that the rich are categorically excluded from the kingdom. Wealthy people can become disciples. Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia from Philippi, there's many more. Their wealth is not condemned. Rather, Jesus is saying that wealth is a great handicap when it comes to entering the kingdom. And you want to exhibit A, while Jesus was saying this, they could still see, I'm sure, the rich young ruler walking off into the distance. That's your proof. The real question I'm sure you want to find answered is why. Why is it so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom? What is it about their wealth that makes it so difficult for them to be saved? That's the question. Now, I just want you to stop and think. From all of our time in Mark, we've been in Mark for over a year. What have we seen time and time again about the requirements for salvation and discipleship? Jesus, he's like a broken record. He said, he said it so many times. If you want to follow him, what must you do? Deny self. If you want to be saved, what must you do? Well, since salvation is not earned or bought, it's received as a gift, you must come to him in faith like a child. Humble, helpless, dependent, coming before God with nothing, relying on just his mercy to save you. But you see, rich people they tend to have a problem with that. And why is that? Because money magnifies the self. Money magnifies the self. The rich easily become self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-confident, self-dependent, self-made. So when they're told that to follow Jesus, they just have to deny self, that's a tall order. They don't want to do that. Money has trained them to love self, to serve self above all else. Also, their money has convinced them that they're not humble. They're not helpless. They're not dependent. I mean, can you imagine someone like Donald Trump saying that he's, I'm helpless, I'm dependent, I need the Lord? And we just can't picture that. Because people with such great riches, they exude the exact opposite. Their money has led them to believe that they're proud, they're sufficient, they're independent. There's nothing their money can't solve or provide for them. And so really, in the end, for, for many who are rich, their wealth becomes their functional God. It becomes their God. They love it. They live for it. They worship it. They serve it. And you know why money's such a good God? It's because it serves you in return. It's good to you. They look to money like their God, to provide them everything they need in life. Money provides them fulfillment and power, status, help, security. Gives them everything they need. What do they need another God for? So if you want to know that the dangers of wealth here, money leads to a love of self, pride, and idolatry. All of which are antithetical to the requirements of of salvation. And so that's why it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. They have such a strong force capturing their heart, working against them. And this is why Jesus has so little good to say about money. This is why instead he's always warning people of the danger of riches. For example, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, 
Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, he said, No one can serve two masters. Father, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. It's too strong of a force. It captures your heart. Either God has your heart or money has your heart. But you can't have both. You can't have a love for both. Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus said, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It's not what life is about. We think life is all about, you know, he who dies with the most stuff wins. It's not what life is about. Listen closely, though, to this teaching, Jesus is not saying that money is intrinsically evil, that you are automatically evil if you're rich, or you're automatically good if you're poor. That's not true. Being rich or poor does not make you morally or spiritually superior. The issue is not money per se. The issue is the love of money. It is the love of money. That's the problem. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the real problem. Not just money, it's a love for money. It's a desire to get rich. It's a longing for it. It's a heart. We're talking about a heart-level sin. And if this is true, that means you don't actually have to be rich to be too rich for the kingdom. You realize that? This isn't just for millionaires. This applies to everyone. Because we're talking about a heart-level sin. Even if you only make $5,000 a year, you can still be too rich for the kingdom if your heart loves that money and lives for that money and wants nothing more than more money. It still captured your heart. It's still Lord of your life. That's the problem with wealth. Of course, the more money you get, this problem is exacerbated. Most people think striking it rich would be the best thing that could ever happen to them. But in reality, spiritually speaking, it's for most the worst thing that could ever happen to them because it leads their hearts away from the Lord. And as we come back to Mark 10, reflecting here, you know, Jesus, he says it's so hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom He's also implicitly making the point that you know their money is not like it's going to buy them a way in. Their money is of no value to crossing that door, to going through that door. You don't buy a ticket through, no matter how much you have. The rich, they're used to thinking their, their money can solve all their problems in life, but not this one. They're used to their money getting them to the front of every line, but not this one. They're the exact opposite. It, it sends them to the very back of the line. It would be so hard for them to get through because so much self-denial is required. And it's that point 
that point right there, that really shocked the disciples. You know, the Jews, the disciples, they had long-standing presupposition, just a standing belief that if you're rich, that means God has already blessed you. God has already shown his favor. You're practically in. If you're rich, it was a sign of his blessing. Right? This is the only other way. And so they, they really don't understand that Jesus could be saying anything bad about riches. Look at verse 24. They, they were shocked. It says, The disciples were amazed at his words. Not only could they not believe what they just witnessed with the rich young ruler walking away, but now they, they can't believe what they're hearing Jesus say. This really was shocking to them to hear Jesus say, the rich will have a harder time entering the kingdom. That can't be. They're thinking, there's no way. Like I said, they presuppose that if you're rich, that means God has already blessed you. He has already shown his favor to you. In addition, you need to understand that the Jews believed that money was like your fast pass into heaven. You know, at Disneyland, we actually have, have the privilege to go tomorrow, get in for free. It's pretty sweet. But, you know, it's long lines. You know the deal. It's like a couple hours for a ride. But they have a thing called Fast Pass. Get a little Fast Pass, a little special ticket. You come back on the time it says, and you, you just jump right to the front of the line. It's great. It's a free pass. The Jews, they believe money was your Fast Pass to heaven. You pay some money, you get your ticket, you're going straight to the head of the line. You're, it's like an easy in. You're a shoe in. Riches made everything easier. And they believed, including getting to heaven. Why did they believe that? Well, you have to remember, their legalistic system was all about earning merit. You have to do good things to earn merit to go to heaven. And if that's the case, then those who are rich have a clear advantage. Rich people have more time. They can perform more religious duties. Rich people have more money. They can buy the better sacrifices. You know, poor people were stuck sacrificing pigeons. You know that? That's what the law says. But the rich could sacrifice bulls. And of course, that made them more righteous, right? They thought. And then there was almsgiving. Almsgiving was one of the three main pillars of ancient Judaism, in addition to prayer and fasting. Giving money to the poor was one of the most meritorious acts you could do. And if you're rich, you can give lots of money to the poor. And you're really, you're buying your way in. You're getting to the head of the line. Money really did make everything easier, they thought, including entering heaven. And so that's why, you know, the 12 disciples and all the Jews, they grew up believing this. This is what everyone believed. This is what they were taught. And so if anything, they expect Jesus to say, look how easy it will be for those who are rich to enter the kingdom. And this is why the things aren't adding up in their minds. First, they watch the rich young ruler walk away, not getting the kingdom. And then second, they hear Jesus say that in reality, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom. This is why they're so shocked and amazed. It's inconceivable that riches are actually a barrier to the kingdom in their minds. But it, it's true. This is coming from the mouth of Jesus himself. And Jesus knew they would be shocked by this. And he could read their faces. Jesus knew that they were struggling with this truth because it so went against the culture that was ingrained in them. But instead of softening his words, Jesus makes them sharper. He knows the disciples. They're, they're stumbled by this. But he doesn't backtrack. 
He doesn't say, oh, no, guys, I was, I was just kidding. The rich have no problem getting to heaven. He doesn't soften anything up. Instead, he, he kind of turns it up one more notch. First, he said it was difficult for the rich to be saved. Now, he says it's impossible for the rich to be saved. In verse 24, But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the effect of his statement here is that it is impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just hard. It's impossible. Jesus uses hyperbole to make his point like he always does. It's a word picture here. doesn't need a lot of explaining. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. This is a well-known proverbial statement. Actually, it started with an elephant, but in Palestine, the largest animal they had was a camel. So you've got your largest animal, you've got your smallest opening you can think of, the eye of a needle, and put them together. It's not rocket science. A camel cannot pass through an eye of a needle. And this was a common proverbial way of saying that something is impossible. It's not possible. Now, I mentioned down through the ages, some people have tried to soften the words of Jesus to make him less condemning of the rich. And so they have postulated that, you know, back in the day in the walls of Jerusalem, there's a small little opening called the eye of the needle. And a merchant bringing his camel, he'd have to make the camel bend down on its knees to pass through this opening. And that's like a picture of the rich. They can get through they just have to go through on their knees by prayer. Sounds nice. But it's have no basis whatsoever. It's just made up, especially in the day of Jesus. There's nothing of that anywhere. Instead, it's crystal clear. He's saying it really is impossible for the rich to save themselves, to be saved. And the reaction of the disciples confirms this. Now realize one thing, though. Jesus, he is on purpose setting up his disciples. He's setting them up. He's tearing down all the advantages of the rich that they believed. The Jews all believed the rich were front in line for the kingdom. You know, of course they're going to get in. They've got all that money. They can buy all that merit. But Christ's words, in effect, send the rich to the back of the line. They're going to have the hardest time getting in. In fact, it's not just hard for them. It's impossible Jesus knew, once again, this statement would exasperate his disciples. This this is going to push them over the edge to say something this ridiculous, that it's impossible. And he was right. That statement sent them over the edge. They were exasperated. Look at verse 26. After he said this, it says, They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Who can be saved? If, If you're telling me the rich can't get in, then who can? See what he's doing. He's shaking the the very foundation of their legalistic, merit-based system. And that system still stumbled the disciples from time to time. It was part of their old culture. They have to overcome. But now they're even more astonished. They're thinking, if entering the kingdom is impossible for the rich, with all their advantages, then it seems like it's impossible for everyone else. And they're right. It is. That's the point. That's where Jesus is leading them because that's true. It is impossible for anyone to earn the kingdom. 
What hope has anyone of getting through the door of salvation on their own? The answer is no hope. And if the rich can't get in with all their advantages, what hope do you have of getting in? None. This is how Jesus himself answers their question. They're exasperated. They're saying, Lord, who can be saved then? And how does he answer their question? Who can be saved? Verse 27. Jesus gave him another look and said, with people, it is impossible. He said it's impossible. He verified what they were thinking. You guys are right. It is impossible. Do you understand that? You have to understand that. If you don't, well, you need to. I'm going to try and help you. He's saying you you can't save yourself. You cannot contribute to your own salvation. You you can't make it into the kingdom on your own. That door is open. You you can't get through. You, You don't have the ability. Salvation for you, when it comes to your ability, it's not possible. That's what he's saying. But that truth should not make you despair. Rather, it's only when you recognize that truth that you find the entrance to the path of hope. Because even though salvation is impossible for you, it's not impossible for God. And that's what he says in the rest of verse 27. They're exasperated. They say, who can be saved? And he says, no one. With people, it's impossible. But, verse 27, but not with God. For all things are possible to God or with God. No one can earn their own salvation, not even the super rich. Rather, the only ones who find salvation are those who come to the end of themselves. You must no longer look to salvation in yourself according to your own ability because you're dead. You're spiritually dead. You have no ability. Rather, you must hope in the Lord's ability to save you. In reality, what Jesus is saying here sounds strikingly similar to what he said in John chapter 3 to good old Nicodemus. Remember that? Very similar. Nicodemus is a lot like the rich young ruler. Nicodemus is a ruler of a synagogue. Therefore, most likely he's, he's rich as well. And he also comes up to Jesus thinking he's a good teacher. Very similar. But Jesus, likewise, reads him like a book. And so remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand that. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Be born again? That sounds impossible. And so Nicodemus replies, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? He's actually right on track. Only Jesus is not talking about a second physical birth, but a second spiritual birth. But still, it's equally as impossible. Nicodemus was right. Like That sounds crazy. That sounds impossible. How can I do that? And that's the point Christ was making. You must be born again, but you can't do that. You can't make yourself born again. Could you control your first birth? No. Do you control your second? Do you have any power to bring yourself from death to life? Physically? No. Spiritually? No. It is impossible for you to be born again of yourself. 
That, is, that doesn't change the fact that unless you are born again, unless somehow this happens to you, you can't be saved. Now, if you get that, if you, if you make that connection, at first, it sounds very frustrating. So you're telling me, okay, because of my sin, I'm spiritually dead. So I'm going to be kept out of the kingdom. I can't go to heaven. To be saved, I have to be born again. But I can't do that. I don't even have the power to do that. So what am I supposed to do? It's not very good news. It doesn't sound very good. What am I supposed to do? It leaves you very helpless. Kind of like a lost child. But that is precisely where God wants you. Like a helpless child, humbly coming before him, is for mercy, for help. It is impossible for us to save ourselves. Our money, our works, our effort contribute nothing. We have no ability. We are Ephesians 2.1. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We need someone else to make us alive. But at the same time, God has made another promise. In his great mercy and love, he's promised that if you confess your sin and your condemnation, and if you come before him, humble, broken, helpless, dependent, like a child, seeking his mercy, and if you come through the door of Jesus by faith, trusting in his work on the cross, then he will hear you. And he will, by his own promise, he will do the impossible for you. Because it's not impossible for God. He will make you born again. He will make you alive. It's not something you can do for yourself, but God can for those who come to him like this. God's still in charge. Who was responsible for your first birth? Ultimately, God. And who's responsible for your second birth? Ultimately, God. And nevertheless, we're still told, we are still told by God time and time again to come to him broken, humble, confessing our sin, pleading for mercy by faith in his work on the cross. And if you do this, God says, he'll save you. And it becomes very simple. Kind of like Jesus later told Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Get simple. He told that. that was, he's still talking to Nicodemus when that famous verse came. This is how God works the impossible in the lives of dead sinners. By his grace, working through our faith, which he himself awakens in us. Even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we can be justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and 24. So do you know why the rich have such a hard time entering the kingdom? It's because salvation can't be bought. It's a gift, must be received, but only empty hands can receive them. But oftentimes the rich are still clinging to the things of this world in their heart. And that applies to all people, actually, regardless of how many zeros there are in your bank account. That's true for everyone. All people who still rely on their own power, their own resources, will, morality, deeds, or money to save them, all such people are too rich for the kingdom of God. And for them, 
their riches in whatever form are their greatest handicap. Instead, there's just one way to come. Like he says in Mark 10, verse 15, remember? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now it's interesting in our passage, verse 24, Jesus calls the disciples children for the first time. He says children. As if to remind them that they too must become like children if they are to enter the kingdom. It's also interesting that you know, even though kids can be greedy and selfish, they really don't regard money like us adults do. I'm not saying that children are perfect. We covered that a couple sermons ago. But it is interesting how they don't care about money. Money is not their master. Money has not captured their heart. At least not yet. You know, recently we bought some items for a wedding on behalf of a relative, and so they paid us back with a $100 bill. So I put it in my dresser drawer before I was going to deposit it to the bank. Olivia, our daughter, got into my dresser drawer, and what do you think she took? She took a flashlight. That $100 bill was just staring her in the face. She could have taken that, stashed it away. She'd been the richest two-year-old on the block. She didn't care. She wanted, like, the shiny toy. And for us adults, we know the value of money. We know how hard it is to get, how much it can get for us. And so all the more easily, we can fall prey to mammon. But don't let the love for money master you. It can even keep you out of the kingdom. There sure is a fitting application here in regards to money. Beware the deceitfulness of wealth. Idolatry is right around the corner. And I hope you don't misunderstand everything Jesus is saying. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not. Wealthy people can humble themselves and be saved by grace too. We're talking about heart problems that afflict those who are spiritually too rich for God. What you need to make sure is that you you master your money and that your money doesn't master you. That's the issue. Don't let money be your hope or the key to your sinful desires. Rather, invest it in helping others. Be rich in the kingdom. Jesus, remember, he told the rich young ruler to sell everything, give to the poor. It should be obvious by now that application is not for all of us. Again, the issue here is not the actual possession of wealth. There are many disciples who were very wealthy. Abraham, Job, David, Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia. Possessing wealth is not the problem. It's when your wealth possesses you. That's the problem. And you need to guard against that. Make sure that your heart is free from the love of money. First Timothy 6. I'm talking about a hard issue. And because it's a hard issue, don't think that just because you're poor, you're immune to all this. Don't think that just because you don't have a lot of money in the bank, this whole sermon doesn't apply to you. It still does. Poverty is not the solution to everything Jesus is saying. Poverty is not the answer. Poverty doesn't solve anything. He never says, you must take a vow of poverty to be my disciple, because that doesn't solve the heart problem of love for money. Even those who are poor can love money. Even the homeless guy on the street who only has $1 to his name can still love that $1 and cling to that dollar so much that he's too rich for the kingdom. It's easy to think that you're free from the danger of money just because you don't have a lot of it. That's not so. All of us, especially us Americans, need to always be on guard against the deceitfulness of riches. 
1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul says again, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You want the the short version? If you don't have money, be content. Trust God. He'll provide for all of your needs. If you do have money, be content. Trust God. He already has provided for all of your needs, so you be the instrument that he uses to provide for the needs of others. That's what he's saying. It is true that the best antidote to the love of money is giving it away. And regardless, rich or poor, we as Christians, we should be the most generous people on earth because we don't live for this earth or this money or what this world affords. We live for the next. And we hold all things with an open hand. But in all, of course, there's still a final, much deeper application concerning your salvation. Just make sure, whatever you do, that you approach God poor, spiritually poor, What did Jesus say? He didn't say, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So everything we're talking about. doesn't matter how many zeros there are at the end of your bank account. Rich or poor, salvation is impossible for you. You can't save yourself. Only God can. And if you go to him by faith in Christ, seeking his mercy, he'll make you born again. It's the only way to enter. And just don't let your love for money, keep you from doing that. Final point, Revelation 3. Remember this? Jesus, he had a special word for the church of Laodicea. Does that ring a bell? They were the lukewarm church. Remember them? These are people who, they call themselves Christians, but they had become so lukewarm. They lost their zeal for the Lord. And what, what happened? What happened to them? We know what happened. They got rich. They got, like, literally, they had lots of money. They got rich, and they didn't really need the Lord anymore. You know people like that? I do. They strike it rich, and all of a sudden, they don't really need God anymore. And so remember what Jesus said to this church. I'll read it for you, Revelation 3, 17 and 18. Jesus himself said to them, Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, for these people, their, their physical riches blinded them from their spiritual need. In reality, spiritually, we're all, like Jesus says, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Spiritually speaking, we're we're just lost. But their money couldn't help them with this problem. They needed the Lord in their life. They They needed to inherit His spiritual riches. Well, He offers it. He offers them gold to make them really rich, spiritually rich, and garments of white, so on. He can provide them with the spiritual currency they need to enter heaven. But they, like all of us, need to forsake 
what they're living for, for them, their wealth, and to turn to Him alone for salvation. He still gives them a call. He still gives you a call. While you're living, it's not too late. Will you heed the call? He says, Revelation 3.20, you know the verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Let's make sure we all answer that call. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, we, we hear what, what you have said to us this morning and it's, it's convicting in all of our hearts. Whether we're rich or poor, none of us are free from the temptation that, that money brings to us. It is the key that unlocks our, our hearts' sinful desires. And especially those who have it, oftentimes their hearts are captured by it. Either way, Lord, keep us free from the love of riches. Help us to be instead solely devoted to you and to your Son. Lord, for those here who are rich, may they be rich toward you by not trusting in their riches, instead being generous, help, helping those who are in real need, and then they'll have treasure in heaven. May, may their money not keep them from heaven. May they divest themselves from a love of money and invest themselves in, in helping those in need. For those who are poor, may their, may their hearts likewise not be captured by a desire for money, even though they don't have it. And so, Lord, may we all come to you seeking your riches. Salvation for us is impossible. There, there is nothing we can do to make ourselves born again. But you can and you will do for us what needs to be done. And you say if we come to you like a child through faith in Jesus, we will be made new. And it's true, we confess that truth. So may we always do that. May we never forget the Savior who, who died for us, gave so much for our spiritual poverty. I want to lift him up in praise and, and guide us to always seek to be rich before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.